This is How to Business and Show Business, where we talk about the business of show, the podcast that discusses ways to work smarter, not harder. If you're a performer at the beginning of your career or a student interested in going into the performing arts, this is the podcast for you. For more about the podcast, you can find our website at businessandshowbusiness.com. There you can learn more about the business of performing arts with coursework, videos with shop talk, and interviews with other professional performers. Now here's your host, Corbett. And we're back with part two of our conversation of improv with Deb Rabai. If you didn't hear part one, go back and listen to that before listening to part two so you can know a little bit about our guest, who they are, what she is, who she, this entity of a human being that she is. Part two of our conversation, we're going to continue on with improv, and now we're going to really get into the bulk and the meat of the conversation. We're talking. To, we're going to talk about proactively going after what you want versus seeing what floats by. We talk about making opportunities for yourself, what it means to be a team player, and the endurance. And here's part two of that conversation. Next question. Um, <laughs> well, you, you talked about it um, a little bit prior, um, the voice acting. Yeah, and I've been. Uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Oh, which is my question: How did that voiceover work translate into the anime? Okay, so they actually. So here's the thing about my experience being in this life, <laughs> being me in this life. I have found, for whatever reason, that the things that I want, that I actively, proactively go after. Mm-hmm they go farther away from me. Mm. Now, this doesn't make any sense, right? So it's like, I set a goal, I try and go after it, and then all the obstacles show up. Mm. For me, and and I did that for years and years and years, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. For me, I ended up reading this book called The Tao of Pooh, or The Tao of Pooh, you know, about Taoism. And it's about, instead of actively like running on that treadmill as fast as you can after the goal, it's like stopping and sort of sitting by the river and letting, seeing what floats by. And I decided because I'd been making myself crazy, I was going to sit by the river for a while, not literally, but, but in a figurative way, I'm going to sit, I'm going to sit and do what I want. And I'm going to see what floats by. And in doing that, more of the things that I have wanted have floated directly to me that I have not even reached a handout to get them. They have floated right to my doorstep for me to go. Yes. So I think there's more than one way to do something. There is the running after it. And I've seen people have amazing success at doing that. For me, when I do that, it makes me insane and I get depressed and sad. I have to do it a different way. So this is where the voiceover stuff comes in. So I had been running around like a crazy person, trying to get an agent, trying to audition, trying to do all these things. And I said, I'm going to stop. When I stopped, I was in an improv group already. And my improv group got a gig at a corporate event. And our group hired an actor to be the spokesman. So we needed like a straight man so that we could be the crazies around him. And the guy that we hired was this wonderful, like really straight. No, I don't mean in the uh, like, you know, sexuality way straight, but he just looked like one of those like straight up kind of like presentational guys. And during rehearsals, we'd rehearse. And then on the breaks, I was always fooling around and, you know, being silly and doing you know, like silly voices and <laughs> whatever I was doing. And he heard me and he was like, you have a really good voice. And I was like, well, and I was a singer at the time. I was already singing. Um, And he's like, oh, you know, um, you should totally audition for anime. And I was like, well, who is she? (laughs) 
I didn't know what anime was. (laughs) I mean, I did, but I didn't know it was called anime. I was like Speed Racer and I knew Kimbo the White Lion, but I didn't know what anime was. I didn't know it was a whole market. And so he turns out he he was an anime voice actor um, and he he uh, set me up in touch with this company and had me come and audition. And I booked like one of their lead roles. I did it. They called me into audition for something, booked that lead role, did it recorded it and so on and I and then eventually after a bunch of them I didn't audition anymore they're like hey Debbie we have a role for you and suddenly I started getting invited to these anime conventions you know which are a whole world of another podcast probably (laughs) honestly but that's how it happened I did not seek this out I didn't seek out voiceovers I didn't seek out anime. Um, And a guy that was in an improv class that I was in, we were both uh, students in an improv class. He, the very first uh, voiceover I did for radio, he was also a copywriter for an advertising agency. And at the time I was a very young person and he was like, hey Debbie, would you come and audition for this voiceover? And I was like, of course I will. And I booked it. Yeah. And the other, one of the other people who had auditioned for it was Kathy Najimy. Okay. How did I book that over her? How? I don't know. But, you know, so I didn't like, I didn't like, you know, tear people down and bust down doors to do it. I just kind of allowed the things to float to me and then said yes to them. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, like my dad and I would talk about this too. It doesn't mean like you go out into the middle of the road, lay in the middle of Broadway and go, nothing's going to hit me because I'm protected. Oh. No, you have to do something. You know what I mean? Like I had a headshot. I had a resume. I had a phone number. Uh, I was in an improv group. I was in improv classes. I was studying voice. Like I was doing things to better myself as an entertainer, but I wasn't doing it that way. That's like, that was going to make me crazy anymore because yeah. it was making me ugly crazy. Yeah. And can I just And, you know, I feel like you just tapped on something so important because I feel as though some of us have this blind, um, great, I I wanted you Broadway, I wanted you film, I wanted TV. Okay, 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 okay. You will get there. But what else can you do in the meantime to, like I said, meet that vibration so that way when that opportunity does come or when it's that unexpected, okay, like, let me not look a blind, let me not not look a gift horse in the mouth, but still doing the work behind the scenes. Because I think a lot of us, and also I think intent has a lot to do with yes. it, doing it with an intent. Yes. Um, great. You want to do, uh, you want to do film and TV. What showrunners do you want to be in front of? What, who's maybe teaching a class that you could maybe go see from behind the scenes, what they're looking for. So that way you can meet them on that same vibration. Yes. So when opportunities present, okay, 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 okay. Exactly. Continue. But yeah. see, this is what, what you're saying right now to me is a way of looking at something in a holistic way, yeah. like in yeah. a full universal, full bodied way. You know, it's like if your shoulder hurts, Mm -hmm. most people go, oh, I have to deal with my shoulder. My shoulder hurts. Somebody who's a holistic practitioner says, what's going on in the rest of your body? Mm. They look, oh, you know what? You're favoring your left hip. That's why your right shoulder hurts. So it's the same thing here. It's like, I want this. If you're only focused on this, you're missing a whole rest of the the picture. And I think as actors and people, we're told, you know, go after what you want. That's what our, that's what our society tells us, you know, be single focused, but but you miss so much. And I don't know about you, Corbin, but I, I have had friends and I've met students and other actors who are so singularly minded that 
they might actually be really excellent at what they do, but I don't want to talk to them yeah. as a human. I am not interested in speaking to them because they are freaking boring. They're terrible because they're only about the one thing they're yeah. doing. Yeah. And this is a world. This is an entire world. There are there are so many countries to see. There's yeah. so many foods to eat. There's so many fun things to see and do and learn. Yeah. And all of that makes you a better person, which ultimately, if your tippy top idea is to be a better performer, don't you think it makes you a better performer to have life experience? Truth. Yes, it does. Truth. I'm telling you it does. Truth. So. Truth. You're not wrong. All of that. Um, on to my next thing, segue. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the, the backdrop behind you, which mm. is my next question. How did, uh, first of all, what is Broadway's next hit musical and how did that come to be? Okay, so Broadway's next hit musical.com. Um, it is a totally improvised musical comedy awards show. So it's kind of like the Tonys, but we're the phonies. Uh, you know, so we have like a, a host who's like a Neil Patrick Harris type comes out, plays with the audience um, and the audience writes down made up song titles on little slips of paper, throws them in a fishbowl. And we have four improvisers who come out and will pull one of those slips of paper out of the fishbowl and introduce it as if it's a nominated song from a true real musical. But meanwhile, improvising all of this. And then we improvise four completely different songs and scenes with all the lyrics all of the music is completely improvised on the spot in front of the audience our piano player is improvising as well uh the audience sees four of those scenes into songs and they vote on which one they like the best we go away for five minutes to change out of our formal wear our gowns and tuxedos and we come back and we improvise that entire musical including the song that just won Wow. So that is a show that I am the co-artistic director of. I'm a co-producer of, and I'm a performer in. And we've been touring uh, this show all over the United States and beyond since 2012. Uh -huh. So before the pandemic, we were lucky enough to be invited to perform in an improv festival in Portugal. So we were in Portugal doing our little show, our little improvised musical show all the way in Portugal. Wow. to a sold out crowd of international audience. Like it was freaking amazing, just amazing. God, well, well, hold that thought. We're gonna come back to this, but as we press on now to our advice section of the podcast, mm -hmm. uh, because I and, I, and I learned this in your class, but I, but I'm, but I'm going to ask you as we, as we get to yeah. it, what improv what does for an actor, how does it best um, think on your feet? How can it, how can it allow you to receive what's coming your way and like let everything else go? But before we get to that, how do you personally business and show business? And let me reframe the question. What lesson has been your saving grace as far as businessing and show business? And it could have been something that we just talked about in terms of meeting opportunities or letting something go to receive other things or um, just do, continuing on your education. What lesson has been your saving grace? There's so many, there's not just one, but I, I, I mean, honestly, I could, I could say a couple and then you can cut one out if you want, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can edit it out. I think, um, well, one, one thing is something that I'd said, which is there's more than one way to accomplish something. Mm 
You know, there's so many little, uh, I love expressions and aphorisms and sayings, right? There's more than one way to skin a cat. You know, uh, all roads lead to Rome, meaning there's more than one way to accomplish the thing you want. And when people tell you, no, you have to do it this way. Now, this is particular in the arts, I would say. Um, it, it, it's different in other, in other um, professions. You know, in order to be a doctor, you actually have to do it one way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not letting someone perform brain surgery on me who went just to like, you know, a, an herbology school. Yeah. Not happening. Or not online. Happen. Or online, right. I'm not going to let a lawyer defend me who, uh, you know, did 1-800-LAW. Not doing it. Yeah. So there's a way you have to do those things. But in our profession, as an actor, we're a creative sort of entity. It's artistic. It's not scientific. So mm -hmm. when, you know, when some casting director, you, you know, you've, you've done your monologue and they look at you and they go, you're never going to make it in this business. And you think to yourself, wow, this is a really big casting director who's just told me that. Maybe they're just not the one who can see in mm. you what's possible. It's, mm. it's kind of like when you call someone for customer service. Yeah. You call a company for customer service and they tell you, we can't help you. Okay, I hang up. I call back five minutes later, you get someone else. Yeah. Ask a different person, you'll get a different answer. Yeah. And I think that's true in our business, especially. So, you know, hold on to your dreams. Go for it the best that you can, the way that you know how. Um, and just realize that, there's more than one way to do something and it doesn't have to be an obvious way. And, and, and you can also take a break. That's there's right no, nothing wrong with that. I can, I you subscribe know. to that. I subscribe to that. Yeah. Same question, just for, uh, reframed a little bit differently. Um, what knowledge about the business was gifted to you that you did not know and how, and hence when we talked about the college thing of like doing, uh, doing one year in state, to apply for in-state tuition, what knowledge about the business was gifted to you that you did not know? Well, when I was younger, you know, somebody had said, you know, cause like what you're doing with this podcast, how to business and show business, right? They say it's called show business. Yep. It's not just show show. Yeah. So the idea that there is a business element to this. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, I, I'm older than you. And when I was starting out, we didn't have social media. We didn't have podcasts. We didn't have any of this. There's so many ways now to be present that people can see you and find you that it's a different way of doing things now. Oh, I hear New York coming through. I love that. Right I love now. that. So you can tell no, it's yeah. going to get loud in a second. Sorry. Um, there's everything's happening. Um, but, but I think, if, so for me, just knowing the idea that there, it was show business, just even yeah. knowing there's business, that was yeah. the first thing. And I think the business part of it is um, being, for, for me early on, like I was really interested in doing commercials, which was unheard of. Like everybody just wanted to be a straight actor and commercials were for jerks. Mm. I was actually like, I kind of would like to do them. Yeah. But at the time I didn't understand that, this is gonna sound really strange, so bear with me, but, um, I used to wear uh, <laughs> different kind of clothes than I wear now. So I used to wear like a bustier. I used to wear um, uh, rosary beads. I used to wear crosses in my ears. I used to wear leopard skin and like pretty cool. Yeah. But when you show up to a commercial audition that's selling soap, yeah. 
you've not really showed up in a way that's going to help you. And I found that really odd at the time because I felt like, wait a minute, this is me. And somebody pretty much taught me at that time that what you wear isn't who you are which seems so basic, right? But for me, it was everything. It was everything because I went out and I bought like a button down shirt so that when they asked for, you know, Procter & Gamble look, I could do it. I was still me inside. I had all the creativity that I had, but I was presenting myself in a way that other people could engage with me and could see me the way they needed to, you know? Yeah, right on. So if someone tells you to show up with your dance, uh, dance shoes and leggings and whatever, don't show up in a tutu. That's not helping you. Yeah, It's just not. That's not yeah. what they asked for. So, you know, there's that thing about, yes, be you, be original, be uh, all of you. Yeah. But also, you know, check the specs. Yeah. If they're asking for, you know, your hair to be in a bun and you're supposed to look like a ballerina, don't show up like a punk rocker. It's, it's yeah. You're not helping yourself in that moment. So yeah. that was a big, I don't know if that really answers your question, but that was a big one for me. Yeah. Really read and understand what's being asked of you and do that. No, I hear you. That makes a hundred, that makes so much sense. Um, back to Broadway hit musical. Now mm-hmm. this is more of your journey. Yes. Got to represent the brand. <laughs> Got to represent the band. Promote, promote. Um, promote. How and where did your improv journey start? Okay. My improv journey started when I was in high school and um, my acting class in high school we went to a show in New York City. It was a, at the time, again, it was the 1800s. And um, there were only two improv companies in New York City. And my acting teacher took us to one of them. And I, I didn't know what improvisation was. I didn't understand. I'd never heard of it before. And these people, we sat in the front row. And these people on the stage were making things up on the spot. They made up songs. They made up scenes. And the way they were, it was like, they, they seemed so funny and confident and amazing and smart. And I thought, oh my God, I was 16 at the time. I was like, if I could be one-tenth as yeah. funny and smart and confident as they are, I'd have it made in the shade. Whether I do an acting thing or anything else, I'd be great just to be that confident. So I created, I went, I talked to the producers. I, you know, I screwed up my courage, talked to the producers and I created an internship program for myself. They didn't have one. I created it. I was like, can I be your intern? I'll do this, this, and this. They're like, okay. So I would tear tickets. I would I would serve drinks. This is at 16, after school. I would do this for five nights a week. I'd go there. I got to watch all the shows for free. I got to take all their classes for free. Oh, right on. I, I, took, I took class on um, Wednesday night. Oh, sorry, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, and two on Saturday. I was taking improv five classes a week, just in this one thing. So, you know, they took 10,000 hours. I definitely had that down by early on because I had just gone into it. And um, after my internship ended after three months, you know, I didn't want to leave and they didn't want me to because they liked me. So they, they started paying me to do front of house stuff and, you know, tear tickets or whatever, sweep up after. And so I was there for three years, taking all my classes for free, seeing all the shows for free. So watching and being able to do, and I joined every improv group that would have me that had branched out from the classes. So that's how my journey began when I was 16. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing it for about two years now. <laughs> that's I can't wait. But. <laughs> well, and I want people to really listen to that because that was essentially you cutting your teeth and yep. finding 
as as you say, you know, this is not a straight laced profession. And sometimes you have to think on the fly how best to be productive, proactive, make yourself invaluable to Mm -hmm. those around you. And, and I was getting ready to ask, but then you just said it. So for those first three months, that was you like free labor in a sense, for time, putting your 10,000 hours. And I tell people all the time, if you want to be a proficient working somebody in something in whatever profile, put in your 10,000 hours. So that way you can be the best version of that's within our control to do. Yes. That's within our control. Um, Corbin, so so many people approach from the beginning of, I want, I want, I want, right. I want this. I want that. I want to do that. For me at that point. Yeah. I was like, wow, those people are amazing. How do I do that? Yeah. I just, I just want to be around that. I just want to be around that. And from being around that, suddenly, you know, and that's where you're being of service, just like what you said. I think our, our society, you know, it's inverted, you know, it's like, gimme, 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 instead of like, what can I give? What can I give to make this make sense? And so I was, yes, I was giving free labor, but to me, I was getting so much more. I was getting to be around adults. I was 16. You know, I was getting to be around professional actors who were in the industry who were doing things. I got to meet all these people in the classes who were also all adults. How did I meet that guy who was the advertising agent who got me my first voiceover? I was in an improv class. I didn't know that was going to happen, but it's because I wanted to be there. I didn't know that was going to happen. So I think it's like, it's that, that's the thing of like connecting with your bliss. That was blissful for me. I wanted to be there. I wanted to learn. I wanted to understand. And it was in doing that, all these other rivers and branches came from that. But it all started with like, what do you want to do? What do you love about this? Let's go do that, you know? Yeah. As it pertains to your musical. Yeah. uh, What is it about improv that resonates with audiences, do you think? Uh, Well, I think, I don't know. Because personally, I don't enjoy watching improv. (laughs) I don't. It's terrible because there's a lot of bad, bad, bad improv out there. Woo! There's a yeah, lot of bad yeah. stuff. It's terrible. So I think that's one thing is like, we're not bad. We're actually good. Mm-hmm. So I think other people have the experience of seeing crappy improv as well. And they yeah. walk in with like a chip on their shoulder, like, come on, be funny with their arms folded. Yeah. So uh, the fact that we're good, we're good singers. We're really good actors and we trust each other on stage so we can set each other up for success. If you're working with people who are so self-interested that they're only looking to shine themselves and keep you in the shadows, do you Uh want to work with that person? I don't. Same thing when you walk into an audition, you know, be that wonderful person that people go, God, I really like that guy. I want to work with him because they're going to want to work with you. So if you're that jerk who's just like me, 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 who's going to work with that? So we try to be generous, generous of spirit with each other, try to set each other up for success and flex to each other's talents. So in other words, if something comes up in a scene and I know my partner is really good at doing that, just like in a volleyball game, I'm going to set them up to take that serve. I'm going to set them up to take that shot because I know they're going to do it. They're going to hit it out of the park and trying not to have a lot of ego around that. And that's hard, but it's, that's what makes it successful. Again, being of service, and I love how that just keeps coming up again and again. Um, and you've already said it so many times, but I wonder if we can take it further. How How is improv a beneficial, whether it's the sole purpose of what they're doing or whether it's just something that they happen to fall back on in, 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 in their work, how is improv of beneficial to an actor? Okay, how is improv beneficial to an actor? And you've already said it in some ways of, 
setting your fellow man up for success and and also not being the ego-driven person and letting everyone else shine. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, is there is there, can we dig further in that? Yes, we can. Okay. So there's like a hundred ways. So how, how does improv make you a better actor, more beneficial to you as an actor? Um, so when you, in improvisation, one of the things that I teach my students and a lot of people would talk about it is I think a good improviser is comfortable in the discomfort of not knowing what comes next, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of actors I meet when they come to my improv class, they're terrified because they don't know what's going to happen next. That's, that's the nature <laughs> of improv, right? Yeah. And it's like, if you can get to the point where you are comfortable in the discomfort of not knowing what comes next, nothing can scare you. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to walk into an audition? Wow. Not just with your prepared material, but also ready for anything else because the discomfort doesn't scare you anymore. Mm-hmm. That to me is incredibly empowering. It's like having a safety net wherever you go. And the safety net is your ability to be flexible. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing. Like if you really think about that, if you are so comfortable with anything that could happen that you can flex to it, that means that a casting director or agent can ask you for anything and you have the trust that you know you're gonna get through it and you're gonna do fine. Yeah. That means you can't get thrown in an audition. It means you can't get thrown in a performance. That to me is a safety net. So in a, in a logical way that. So in other ways, it's, it's the same thing like in an audition, um, that ability to be flexible. You come in prepped with your copy and your scene and you do it way A and they go, oh, that's great, but we really had this idea. Now, actors, of course, we should be able to take direction. But when you're on the spot like that, and it's like, yeah, 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 well, how do I do that? You know, mm-hmm. that like take a breath and go, okay, let me improvise. Boom. And look at how many movies are made these days with mostly improvised content or, you know, like a lot of the reaction shots are improvised. So being really connected to your character and being able to improvise in character. So right. all of those things to me all come back to that being comfortable in the discomfort of not knowing what comes next. Um, Another thing I would say about how improv is being able to interpret things. How do you interpret things, right? Uh, This I find stressful, but you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. Uh, When I was starting in the business with voiceovers, you would show up at an audition for a voiceover and have a casting director direct you. You know, they give you the copy, you do it. And then they go, okay, can you do another take, but can you smooth it out? Whatever that means. Nobody ever knows what they mean, right? Can you make it a little more natural? Does that mean breathe more? I don't know. Yeah. You do whatever you can do, right? Nowadays, the, e- the email comes to your house with the copy and there's no one to direct you. Uh-huh. It's you. So it's like, well, what do you do? So as an improviser, you have to just try different stuff without judgment. Yeah. You have to just try something, try something else, try something else. And that having that unlimited ability to just try something else, try something else, try something else, I think that's improvisational and, and that sense of like going with the flow of whatever is going to happen. Mm. Um, I, I'm sure there are like a hundred examples of where something has happened. Oh, actually I can tell you this story. So here's one of the stories where you can't believe that this would be true, but it really did happen this way. I went in for an audition for a voiceover at a casting director, their office. I know them very well. And, but it was with a casting director. I didn't know well at this office. And it was a lot of copy. 
and and the way that it was written on the page and you'll i think you'll identify with what i'm talking about with reading right yeah. <laughs> right so the way this was written on the page was the word that ended the sentence before the next word happened, it ended in a place that wasn't helpful for your eyes to jump to the next thing. Like the way that you would have said it naturally would be, there'd be another word after that. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing. It was written out in a way that wasn't helpful. The second thing was there were a lot of tumbly words in there. They were just like, blah, 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 blah. they garble in your mouth. Mm -hmm. So I go in and I audition and my first take, I stumble. And I'm like, oh my God, and it's long copy. So you have to start all the way. I said, I'm so, so sorry. They're like, it's okay. Just go back and do it again. Okay, great. I go to I hit the exact same fumble in the exact same place. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. They're like, okay, you get one more shot and that's it. And I was like, Whoa! okay. <laughs> well, what do you think happened? I did it again. Fumbled the exact same place, the exact same way. But this time I was just like, I said, I'm really sorry. But I just kept going. You know, I just looked up and I was like, mm. I just kept going. Who booked that job, Corbin? I did. Why? I don't know why, yeah. but I could have completely crashed and burned in that moment and gone, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. No, yeah. you just breathe and go, I'm yeah. really sorry. Let me try it again. Because you have the belief that it's going to be okay. Whatever you do, you're going to get through it. It's uncomfortable. <clears throat> it's terrible. It's awful. You're going to be okay. Yeah. Is that there helpful? Has, there has to be something to be said for, and I talked about this with Clay on the first episode. You know, there are two kinds of people that walk into a room, someone who's self-assured, not cocky, but confident. And then someone who's apologetic. Well, you wouldn't be in the room if you didn't have the right to be in the room and trusting your process, trusting the technique that whether it be your training or, and, or those 10,000 hours, like, trusting yourself enough to know that I got this, this will be fine. We all mess up. It's like, it's, it's going to happen. No one's mm -hmm. perfect. Yeah. And I'm, honestly, I think that if I'm, if, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of auditions are, are more so for the fuck ups, if I'm honest, because <laughs> they want to see how you recover. Like it's not, yeah. you're not supposed to nail it, be one and done perfect. Like they want to see you in a sense, how do you handle under pressure when they throw all those things? Can you take notes? And they ask you 8,000 things. And I'm like, I have no more to give. Right. You know, I think it's both. I think it's, it's like, you know, they want to see you under pressure. They want to see you nail it. You know, people off, I know as a young, when I was a young actor, still a young lady, but not a young actor. Uh, you know, it was that sense of like, not that they're the enemy, but that I'm on the hot spot. Mm. And when I changed my thinking about that, because I'd heard casting directors and people talk about, we want you to succeed. Yeah. You know, the people on the other side of the, they might not act like it all the time. You know, some of them can be total jerks and I could name them by names, but I won't. Um, but they actually do want you to succeed because they're looking to fill a role or a spot and they need someone to do it. Mm -hmm. And they hope it's gonna be you. So why shouldn't it be you? It might not be, but why shouldn't it be? So I'll tell you another short story. Um, I was lucky enough that I actually booked the very first TV little role that I ever auditioned for. I booked the first time ever. It was a very small part. It was like five lines or under. And it was for this like crime drama show, which is no longer on TV. And I don't even remember how I got the audition, but again, it was sort of a random thing. I'd sent my, my photo somewhere and they called me and it was like, okay. I didn't know if I was gonna do it right. I didn't know, do I look in the camera or do I not look in the camera? I, didn't, I hadn't taken a non-camera class yet, but I did anyway, I booked it. And I was playing the role of a Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. So it was like a Christmas episode. There had been a murder at a toy shop. Oh. It was the Christmas time. And I was dressed as a Christmas tree because I was a toy store employee. On set, this is what happened. So this is the terror of my life. Uh, you know, I had my own trailer. Awesome. Uh, their shooting schedule went way late. They were way over time. They only had this run, this place where they were booking, they, they were shooting. They only had it until midnight. Mm. It was 1145. And now they come knocking on my trailer. That means there's only 15 minutes left to do this little under five thing and get it 100% right. What they didn't tell me was they put me in gloves. So I'm a big Christmas tree, right? Mm -hmm. A big Christmas tree. I can't see the floor in front of me like a pregnant woman. So I can't see my mark. I have white gloves on. They say, yeah. you're going to be smoking a cigarette. You're going to light the cigarette. So they give me business to do. You're going to light the cigarette with gloves on wow. and a big Christmas tree outfit. Well, let me tell you, it didn't go very well. It did not go very well. The director was yelling. They were screaming because I couldn't hit my mark because I couldn't see my mark. And they had time. I mean, it was a disaster and it felt terrible. But boy, oh boy, did I learn a lot from that experience. First of all, about how to like stay calm under pressure when someone mm -hmm. is like yelling that it's not about you. But, but even in just in the auditioning process, like just relishing the moment of auditioning, getting the chance to do that. It's kind of awesome. As yeah. actors, we're kind of little magical unicorns. We get to like be all these different people. And how cool is that? It is. It's spot on. Um, last question before we get to the closing. As we, mm. I know. Can you believe it? Wrap it up. Um, what are some popular comedy and or improv troops in the city and or the country that you could recommend for aspiring people to either look out for or maybe people want to get their improv journey going with comedy? Or in addition to comedy? I'm not prepared to answer this question. Uh, I'm really not. I don't feel <laughs> I don't feel prepared. I will tell you Broadway's next hit musical, of course. I am a great proponent and supporter of short form improvisation. Yeah. So I think places like theater sports that mm -hmm. exists around the country. There are all kinds of theater sports teams around the country. I think they'll probably do a good job. Um, in New York. I have a lot of feelings. Feelings, nothing <laughs> more than, yeah. I, I'm not a great fan of a, of a lot of the improv schools and companies in New York. I, I don't necessarily feel that they create a well-rounded improviser. I am so sorry to be a negative Nelly here, but that is really how I feel. I don't think they, they make uh, very well-faceted improvisers uh, in New York. Um, I think we need a little bit more training schools in short-form improvisation to allow to have such better-trained improvisers. But I think um, a lot of people would flock to some of the bigger schools, although UCB just closed. Mm. Um, there's the Pitt. Um, there's the, the Magnet Theater. Those are a couple of the places. Uh, but uh, Comedy Sports is another one. Um, I like the school. It's called Improvolution. Improvolution. I think they're fantastic. And uh, there's another uh, a person who teaches improvisation uh, and doesn't advertise. Um, 
if people are interested, they can reach out to you and then I will give them that information. I'm not even going to promote them. Okay. It's okay. like an underground thing. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so that's what I think. Sorry to be so negative about no, it. Well, here's the thing. how I feel about it. I feel as though, and this is what I love about this interview. So I have another interview and I'm just like, I'm just like, guys, listen, I'm a, oh, I, I'm a boss. I'm a, no, you're, you're not keeping me up, but like, I got, I got things to do. I gotta like, mm. I gotta make boss moves here. Okay. I, yes. I gotta keep these. Some, I did an interview with someone the other day and he, and he goes, you know what, who you should definitely interview my friend, Rich. I was like, send him my information. I was like, and so literally <laughs> it's just been networking all day. And it's like, anyways, anyways, enough about you're me. Doing but, it, Corbin. You're doing, doing it. it. But what I feel is, in, uh, but what I feel, um, with this podcast and I never want to give people the unrealistic expectation. I don't, when I ask my guests, these hard questions, I don't ask them this to, to, to disparage people and, or to cast a negative downlook, but I just want to give people the realistic version of what it is in this business that for instance, my next interview after you, we're talking about the hustle, the expectation of the city versus the reality of the city. Like there are so many misconceptions that people have when they move to said market. And I know we're focusing on the New York market here, but we're also talking about LA, LA Atlanta, sure. in Chicago, Vancouver, Toronto, and then yeah. for my European friends. Like I never want you to walk in unprepared because the more you know that I, it's not going to be the end all of be all, but the more, you know, is the more information that you can use to best set you up for success. Because for instance, joining the union, and I know we talked about this, a lot of people just think, oh, I'm going to join the union. No, it costs 1800 right now, the current initiation fee. You have 2.5% gross. You have a two-year minimum to pay off that 1800 Union dues are twice a year, $88. I, I want to give people that information. I want people to understand what they're paying in for. And yeah. if you have the time and how are you going to, for instance, if you're doing SAG for say, that's $3,000, the initiation fee. Oh so if you're God. telling me that you're going to be booking on the regular to pay off that $3,000, assuming that you don't already have that 3000 Like these are the things that people need to be aware of. And I, I just, the 99% that that's not talked about, and I know it's not sexy, but if you are someone who has, if you're a performing arts student or someone who's at the beginning of their career, who wants to take this seriously, the business that's the business and oh my god the unions that is a huge thing because here's the thing i was just like what you're saying when i was in acting school i was like i'm going to join the union because what at what that meant to me was it's a feather in my cap it means if i'm in the union i am endorsed as being a professional and everyone will know it well guess what there are a lot of perfectly good non-union actors perfectly good i believe in unions okay it's not that i don't but where do you get your experience where do you get to cut your teeth right i think staying non-union for a good while is good because then that's how you meet more people you're going to be able to like go to the trade papers and do all kinds of gigs meet all kinds of people before then you're limited to only doing union work unless you decide to go ficor yeah. Which with equity, you can't do with the actor with the, with the theater union. You can't do that. But with SAG-AFTRA, FICOR, that's a whole other thing. And people get really pissed about it. Yeah. Oh, see, look, there you go. There is a piece of knowledge about the business that you might not have known that was just gifted to you. Um, yep. And so that is what this is about. And I thank you for your time. And as we wind down with our last three questions. Uh-huh. You're going to have to edit this down, Corbin. I'm telling you. Well, no, what I do is I do part one, part twos. Oh, I so, love it. So part ones are free and I give those to the people. Part two, I'm like, no, guys, if you want to like, if you want to know, like, come on, subscribe to the Patreon. Like, we'll get you wet. Like, I just feel as though 
if the if the quality of the content is good, it'll be there for people. And if people yeah. want to invest their time and their energy and their resources, I'm not I'm not charging people a bang and a buck, an arm and a leg, mm-hmm. but like here's substantial information that's being given to you. Why wouldn't you do anyways, anyways? Yeah. I digress. <laughs> what is something that mature you would say to younger you at the beginning of your career? Um okay. Well, the first thing I would say is, you know, I already said it, which was go to school, go to school. I, I, I wish, I wish that my father would have been a little stronger about that. Cause I think it, it could have benefited me more, yeah. um, than the route I took and, and, you know, things play out the way they're going to, but I wish I would have said to Debbie, go, go to NYU, go and do that path and see where that takes you. I think it might've been a lot easier. I might've gotten into Juilliard after that. And I did audition three times. So, um, <laughs> so that's one thing I would have told myself. Another thing I would have told myself, which is, um, trust yourself. Um, you're, you're good enough. That doesn't mean you can't grow. It doesn't mean you can't get better, but be your own champion. And, and my dad did used to tell me that my dad, like I said, he was a, a world-class clarinetist and he, when he was a student, <clears throat> He, his teacher, what he would do, and maybe you will relate to this too, he'd play something, play a piece for his teacher. And before his teacher even had the chance to give him a critique, he would start criticizing himself. Oh, I forgot Me. to do this run. Me. I didn't hit this note. Uh, I screeched on that, <laughs> blah, 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 right? Well, his teacher said, Joe, come to the window. And he went to the window looking on Broadway. And he said, do you see all of those people down there? Yes. Those people are waiting to put you down and criticize you. Don't you be first in line. Don't you be first in line to put yourself down. That's good. And I always tell that to my students too. Like when my students, they're right ready to criticize themselves. I'm like, stop. I'm the teacher. Let me do something. (laughs) Let me do that. (laughs) Let me do something. I mean, that's why they pay me. If you're going to criticize yourself, what do I have to do? I'm just going to sit here and watch. So give yourself that, that, place to be the creative on this side and then the critical you don't have to do both at the same time and you can also hand that role over to somebody else like a teacher or a coach let them look and see what you're doing they'll have a different perspective than you do that was good dang um give me the chills um (laughs) professional slash private what does the future look like for you going forward (sighs) Ben, i don't know (laughs) No, we're in a pandemic. She's like, I'm just trying to make tomorrow, man. I'm serious. I'm trying to make today. It's like, what's for dinner? I put makeup on. I put contact lenses on today. Can you hear? I mean, hello. Oh I don't know, Corbin. I don't know what it looks like. I, I don't, again, I don't mean to be negative. I don't know. No. We're in a pandemic. You know, the government's going crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that my show, Broadway's Next Hit Musical, uh, we're we will begin touring again when yeah. it is safe. We will be able to do the show again. Um, I my I, I want to continue and keep teaching classes on improvisation. I I, um, I, I coach people. I want to you know teach my music improv classes again. Um, I want to get back to doing voiceovers and being able to do on camera commercials like I have done. Um, I'd like to write a book about improvisation or at least a series of essays. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't know. These are all sort of like hopeful things, but you know, I don't know. Uh, Wow. Is there anything uh, 
you want to plug that that you're working on or like whether it be your own personal coaching or like just your work company is there anything you want to plug sure yes so uh in addition to being an improviser i'm a host i am a facilitator i'm a role player uh my website is deb rabbi not deborah bye but debrabai.com. Uh, you can follow me. And I've gotten, funnily enough, you know, you think about um, social media as just a place for whatever, you know, social media-ing. That's business. It's business. I've it's actually business. booked work through social media, which I would love to continue to do. I haven't mastered the way to make that happen, but hosting corporate events, uh, hosting trivia nights, hosting any kind of corporate work, any like um, general sessions, uh, when they have game shows for corporate events, those are kinds of things that I do. Um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. Facebook, I'm Debbie Rabai. Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Deb Rabai. So those are all places you can find me. Uh, voices, singing. I'm, I'm your creative gal. Yeah, right on. That's sparkly gal if you enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted rate and review this podcast and be sure to share with your friends thanks for listening and we'll catch you on next week's episode of how to business in show business